0: Section forty, part five, chapter seven of Atlantis, the Antediluvian World by Ignatius Loyola Donnelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Apfelstadt. Atlantis, the Antediluvian World by Ignatius Loyola Donnelly. Part five, chapter seven the irish colonies from atlantis we have seen that beyond question spain and france owed a great part of their population to atlantis let us now turn to ireland we would naturally expect in view of the geographical position of the country to find ireland colonized at an early day by the overflowing population of atlantis and in fact the irish annals tell us that their island was settled prior to the flood in their oldest legends an account is given of three spanish fishermen who were driven by contrary winds on the coast of ireland before the deluge after these came the formorians who were led into the country prior to the deluge by lady banba or caser her maiden name was herni or Berba. she was accompanied by fifty maidens and three men bith ladra and Fintain. ladra was their conductor who was the first buried in hibernia the ancient book the scene of dronshnechtar is quoted in the book of Ballymote* as authority for this legend the irish annals speak of the formorians as a warlike race who according to the annals of clonmachnoi were a sect descended from cham the son of noah and lived by piracy and spoil of other nations and were in those days very troublesome to the whole world were not these the inhabitants of atlantis who according to plato carried their arms to egypt and athens and whose subsequent destruction has been attributed to divine vengeance invoked by their arrogance and oppressions the formorians were from atlantis they were called formorich formerich afric and formora which has been rendered into english as formorians they possessed ships, and the uniform representation is that they came, as the nation Formaric Afraic indicated, from Africa. But in that day, Africa did not mean the continent of Africa as we now understand it. Major Wilford, in the eighth volume of the Asiatic Researches, has pointed out that Africa comes from Apar, Afar, Apara, or Aparica. Terms used to signify the West, just as we now speak of the Asiatic world as the East. When, therefore, the Formorians claimed to come from Africa, they simply meant that they came from the West, in other words, from Atlantis, for there was no other country except America west of them. They possessed Ireland from so early a period that by some of the historians they are spoken of as the aborigines of the country. The first invasion of Ireland, subsequent to the coming of the Formorians, was led by a chief called Partholon. His people are known in the Irish annals as Partholon's people. There were also probably Atlanteans. They were from Spain. A British prince, Golguntius or Germond, encountered off the Hebrides a fleet of thirty ships filled with men and women, led by one Partholyon, who told him they were from Spain and seeking some place to colonize. The British prince directed him to Ireland. De antique et original Katab. Spain in that day was the land of the Iberians, the Basques, that is to say, the Atlanteans. The Formorians defeated Partholon's people, killed Partholon, and drove the invaders out of the country. The Formorians were a civilized race. They had a fleet of sixty ships and a strong army. The next invader of their dominions was Naimid he captured one of their fortifications but it was retaken by the four Morians under mork naimede was driven out of the country and the atlanteans continued in undisturbed possession of the island for four hundred years more then came the furbols they conquered the whole island and divided it into five provinces they held possession of the country for only thirty-seven years when they were overthrown by the tuatha de denans a people more advanced in civilization so much so that when their king nuada lost his hand in battle Creedne, the artificer we are told put a silver hand upon him the fingers of which were capable of motion this great race ruled the country for one hundred and ninety-seven years they were overthrown by an immigration from spain probably of basques or iberians or atlanteans the sons of milid or Milesius, who possessed a large fleet and a strong army this last invasion took place about the year 1700 BC so that the invasion of Nemid must have occurred about the year 2334 BC while we have to assign a still earlier date for the coming of Partholon's people and an earlier still for the occupation of the country by the Formorians from the west in the irish historic tales called Catha or battles as given by the learned o'curry a record is preserved of a real battle which was fought between the tuatha de Danans and the firbolgs from which it appears that these two races spoke the same language and that they were intimately connected with the formorians as the armies drew near together the firbolgs sent out Breas, one of their great chiefs to reconnoitre the camp of the strangers the tuatha de dinans appointed one of their champions named shreng to meet the emissary of the enemy the two warriors met and talked to one another over the tops of their shields and each was delighted to find that the other spoke the same language a battle followed in which nunda king of the firbolgs was slain Breas succeeded him he encountered the hostility of the bards and was compelled to resign the crown he went to the court of his father-in-law Elathe, a fomorian sea-king or pirate not being well received he repaired to the camp of Balor of the evil eye a fomorian chief the fomorian headquarters seemed to have been in the hebrides Breas and Balor collected a vast army and navy and invaded ireland but were defeated in a great battle by the tuatha de Danans. These particulars would show the race identity of the firbolg and the Tuatha De Dananns, and also their intimate connection, if not identity, with the Formorians. The Tuatha De Dananns seem to have been a civilized people besides possessing ships and armies and working in the metals they had an organized body of surgeons whose duty it was to attend upon the wounded in battle and they also had a bardic or druid class to preserve the history of the country and the deeds of kings and heroes according to the ancient books of ireland the race known as Partholón's people the nemedians the firbolgs the tuatha de Danans, and the malaysians were all descended from two brothers sons of magog son of jepeth son of noah who escaped from the catastrophe which destroyed his country thus all these races were atlantean they were connected with the african colonies of atlantis the berbers and with the egyptians the milesians lived in egypt they were expelled thence they stopped a while in crete then in scythia then they settled in africa see Megochen's history of ireland page fifty seven at a place called gethulia or gethulia and lived there during eight generations say two hundred and fifty years then they entered spain where they built brigantia or briganza named after their king brion they dwelt in spain a considerable time a descendant of Breuchan went on an expedition to egypt took part in a war against the ethiopians married the king's daughter scota he died in spain but his people soon after conquered ireland on landing on the coast they offered sacrifices to neptune or poseidon the god of atlantis ibid page fifty eight the book of genesis chapter ten gives us the descendants of noah's three sons shem ham and jepheth We are told that the sons of Japheth were Gomer, and Magog, or Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras. We are then given the names of the descendants of Gomer and Javan, but not of Magog. Josephus says the sons of Magog were the Scythians. The Irish annals take up the genealogy of Magog's family where the Bible leaves it the book of invasions the sin of throm claims that these scythians were the phoenicians and we are told that a branch of this family was driven out of egypt in the time of moses he wandered through Africa for forty-two years, and passed by the lake of Sauli to the altars of the Philistines, and between Rusicata and the mountains azure and he came by the river Monlon, and by the sea to the pillars of Hercules, and through the Tuscan sea, and he made for Spain, and dwelt there many years, and he increased and multiplied, and his people were multiplied. From all these facts it appears that the population of Ireland came from the west, and not from Asia that it is one of the many waves of population flowing out of the islands of atlantis and herein we find the explanation of that problem which has puzzled the aryan scholars as ireland is farther from the Punjab than persia greece rome or scandinavia it would follow that the celtic wave of migration must have been the earliest sent out from the sanskrit center but it is now asserted by professor schleicher and others that the celtic tongue shows that it separated from the sanskrit original tongue later than the others and that it is more closely allied to the latin than any other aryan tongue This is entirely inexplicable upon any theory of an eastern origin of the Indo-European races, but very easily understood if we recognize the Aryan and Celtic migrations as going out about the same time from the Atlantean fountainhead. There are many points confirmatory of this belief. In the first place, the civilization of the Irish dates back to a vast antiquity, we have seen their annals laying claim to an immigration from the direction of atlantis prior to the deluge with no record that the people of ireland were subsequently destroyed by the deluge from the fomorians who came before the deluge to the milesians who came from spain in the historic period the island was continuously inhabited this demonstrates one that these legends did not come from christian sources as the bible record was understood in the old time to imply destruction of all who lived before the flood except noah and his family two it confirms our view that the deluge was a local catastrophe and did not drown the whole human family three that the coming of the Formorians, having been before the deluge that great cataclysm was of comparatively recent date to wit since the settlement of ireland and four that the deluge was a local catastrophe it must have occurred somewhere not far from ireland to have come to their knowledge a rude people could scarcely have heard in that day of a local catastrophe occurring in the heart of asia there are many evidences that the old world recognized ireland as possessing a very ancient civilization in the sanskrit books it is referred to as hiranya the island of the sun to wit of sun worship in other words as preeminently the center of that religion which was shared by all the ancient races of europe asia africa and america it is believed that ireland was the garden of Phoebus of the western mythologists the greeks called ireland the sacred isle or Ogia. NOR CAN any one SAYS CAMDEN, CONCEIVE WHY THEY SHOULD CALL IT OGEA UNLESS PERHAPS FROM ITS ANTIQUITY, FOR THE GREEKS CALLED NOTHING OGEA UNLESS WHAT WAS EXTREMELY ANCIENT. WE HAVE SEEN THAT THE AUGICUS WAS CONNECTED BY THE GREEK LEGENDS WITH THE FIRST DELUGE, AND THAT THE AUGICUS WAS A QUITE MYTHICAL PERSONAGE LOST IN THE NIGHT OF AGES. It appears, as another confirmation of the theory of the Atlantis' origin of these colonies, that their original religion was sun worship. This, as was the case in other countries, became subsequently overlaid with idol worship. In the reign of King Tichermas, the worship of idols was introduced. The priests constituted the order of druids. Naturally, many analogies have been found to exist between the beliefs and customs of the druids and the other religions which were drawn from Atlantis we have seen in the chapter on sun worship how extensive this form of religion was in the atlantean days both in europe and america it would appear probable that the religion of the druids passed from ireland to england and france the metempsychosis or transmigration of souls was one of the articles of their belief long before the time of pythagoras it had probably been drawn from the storehouse of atlantis whence it passed to the druids the greeks and the hindus the druids had a pontifex maximus to whom they yielded entire obedience here again we see a practice which extended to the phoenicians egyptians hindus peruvians and mexicans the druids of gaul and britain offered human sacrifices while it is claimed that the irish druids did not this would appear to have been a corrupt aftergrowth imposed upon the earlier and purer sacrifice of fruits and flowers known in atlantis and due in part to greater cruelty and barbarism in their descendants hence we find it practiced in degenerate ages on both sides of the atlantic the irish druidical rites manifested themselves principally in sun worship their chief god was bel or baal the same worship by the phoenicians the god of the sun the irish name for the sun grion is according to virgil one of the names of apollo another sun god Grinus. sun worship continued in ireland down to the time of st patrick and some of its customs exist among the peasantry of that country to this day we have seen that among the peruvians romans and other nations on a certain day all fires were extinguished throughout the kingdom and a new fire kindled at the chief temple by the sun's rays from which the people obtained their fire for the coming year in ireland the same practice was found to exist a piece of land was set apart where the four provinces met in the present county of maith here at a palace called lachtar the divine fire was kindled Upon the night of what is now All Saints Day, the druids assembled at this place to offer sacrifice, and it was established, under heavy penalties, that no fire should be kindled except from this source. On the first day of May, a convocation of druids was held in the royal palace of the king of connacht, and two fires were lit, between which cattle were driven, as a preventive of murrain and other pestilent disorders. This was called Beltin, or the day of Bell's fire, and unto this day, the Irish call the first day of May, La which signifies the day of Bell's fire. The celebration in Ireland of St. John's Eve by watch fires is a relic of ancient sun worship of Atlantis. The practice of driving cattle through the fire continued for a long time, and Kelly mentions in his folklore that in Northamptonshire, in England, a calf was sacrificed in one of these fires to stop the moraine during the present century fires are still lighted in england and scotland as well as ireland for superstitious purposes so that the people of great britain it may be said are still in some sense in the midst of the ancient sun-worship of atlantis we find among the irish of to-day many oriental customs the game of jacks or throwing up five pebbles and catching them on the back of the hand was known in rome the irish keen keen, or the lament over the dead may still be heard in algeria and upper egypt even as Herodotus heard it chanted by the Libyan women. The same practice existed among the Egyptians, Etruscans, and Romans. The Irish wakes are identical with the funeral feasts of the Greeks, Etruscans, and Romans. Cusack's History of Ireland, page 141. The Irish custom of saying, God bless you, one sneezes, is a very ancient practice. It was known to the Romans, and referred, it was said, to a plague in the remote past, whose first symptom was sneezing we find many points of resemblance between the customs of the irish and those of the hindu the practice of the creditor fasting on the doorstep of his debtor until he is paid is known to both countries the kindly god save you is the same as the eastern god be gracious to you my son the reverence for the wren in ireland and scotland reminds us of the oriental and greek respect for that bird the practice of pilgrimages fasting bodily macerations and devotion to holy wells in particular places extends from ireland to india all these things speak of a common origin this fact has been generally recognized but it has always been interpreted that the irish came from the east and were in fact a migration of hindus there is not the slightest evidence to sustain this theory the Hindus have never within the knowledge of man sent out colonies or fleets for exploration but there is abundant evidence on the other hand of migrations from Atlantis eastward and how could the Sanskrit writings have preserved maps of Ireland, England and Spain giving the shape and outline of their coasts and their very names and yet have preserved no memory of the expeditions or colonizations by which they acquired that knowledge Another proof of our theory is found in round towers of Ireland attempts have been made to show by dr petrie and others that these extraordinary structures are of modern origin and were built by the christian priests in which to keep their church plate but it is shown that the annals of ulster mention the destruction of fifty-seven of them by an earthquake in a d four forty eight and that heraldus cambrensis shows that lochnich was created by an inundation or sinking of the laud in a d sixty five and that in his day the fishermen could see the round towers of other days in the waves beneath them shining. Moreover, we find Diodorus Suculus in a well-known passage referring to Ireland and describing it as an island in the ocean over against Gaul to the north and not inferior in size to Sicily, the soil of which is so fruitful that they mow there twice in the year. He mentions the skill of their harpers, their sacred groves, and their singular temples of round form the burgh of musa in the shetlands we find similar structures in america sardinia and india The remains of similar round towers are very abundant in the orkneys and shetlands they have been supposed by some says sir john lubbock to be scandinavian but no similar buildings exist in norway sweden or denmark so that this style of architecture is no doubt anterior to the arrival of the northmen I give a picture above of the Burke or Broch, on the little island of Mousa in the Shetlands. It is circular in form, forty-one feet in height. Open at the top, the central space is twenty feet in diameter, the walls about fourteen feet thick at the base, and eight feet at the top. They contain a staircase which leads to the top of the building. Similar structures are found in the island of Sardinia. Round tower of the canyon of the Mancos, Colorado, USA in new mexico and colorado the remains of round towers are very abundant the illustration below represents one of these in the valley of the mancos in the southwestern corner of colorado a model of it is to be found in the smithsonian collection at washington the tower stands at present in its ruined condition twenty feet high it will be seen that it resembles the towers of ireland not only in its circular form but also in the fact that its doorway is situated at some distance from the ground it will not do to say that the resemblance between these prehistoric and singular towers in countries so far apart as sardinia ireland colorado and india is due to an accidental coincidence it might as well be argued that the resemblance between the roots of the various indo-european languages was also due to accidental coincidence and did not establish any similarity of origin in fact we might just as well go back to the theory of the philosophers of one hundred and fifty years ago and say that the resemblance between the fossil forms in the rocks and the living forms upon them did not indicate relationship or prove that the fossils were the remains of creatures that had once lived but that it was simply a way nature had of working out extraordinary coincidences in a kind of joke a sort of plastic power of nature as it was called we find another proof that ireland was settled by the people of atlantis in the fact that traditions long existed among the irish peasantry of a land in the far west and that this belief was especially found among the posterity of the tuatha dardanans whose connection with the Ormorians we have shown the abbe brasseur de Bourbourg, in a note to his translation of the Popol vu says there is an abundance of legends and traditions concerning the passage of the irish into america and their habitual communication with that continent many centuries before the time of columbus we should bear in mind that ireland was colonized by the phoenicians or by people of that race an irish saint named vigile who lived in the eighth century was accused by pope zachary of having taught heresies on the subject of the antipodes at first he wrote to the pope in reply to the charge but afterward he went to rome in person to justify himself and there he proved to the pope that the irish had been accustomed to communicate with the transatlantic world this fact says baldwin seems to have been preserved in the records of the vatican the irish annals preserve the memory of st brendan of Clonfert and his remarkable voyage to a land of the west made a d five forty five his early youth was passed under the care of st a lady of the princely family of the desi when he was five years old he was placed under the care of bishop ercus Kerry was his native home the blue waters of the atlantic washed its shores the coast was full of traditions of a wonderful land in the west he went to see the venerable saint enda the first abbot of Aran, for counsel he was probably encouraged in the plan he had formed of carrying the gospel to this distant land he proceeded along the coast of mayo inquiring as he went for traditions of the western continent on his return to Kerry, he decided to set out on the important expedition st brendan's hill still bears his name and from the bay at the foot of this lofty eminence he sailed for the far west Directing his course towards the southwest with a few faithful companions and a well-provisioned bark, he came, after some rough and dangerous navigation, to calm seas, where, without aid of oar or sail, he was borne along for many weeks. He had probably entered upon the same great current which Columbus traveled nearly one thousand years later, and which extends from the shores of Africa and Europe to America he finally reached land he proceeded inland until he came to a large river flowing east to west supposed by some to be the ohio after an absence of seven years he returned to ireland and lived not only to tell of the marvels he had seen but to found a college of three thousand monks at there are eleven latin manuscripts in the bibliothèque imperiale of paris of this legend the dates of which vary from the eleventh to the fourteenth century but all of them anterior to the time of columbus the fact that st brendan sailed in search of a country in the west cannot be doubted and the legends which guided him were probably the traditions of atlantis among a people whose ancestors had been derived directly or at second hand from that country This land was associated in the minds of the peasantry with traditions of Edenic happiness and beauty. Miss Eleanor C. Donnelly of Philadelphia has referred to it in her poem The Sleeper's Sail, where the starving boy dreams of the pleasant and plentiful land. Mother, I've been on the cliffs out yonder, straining my eyes o'er the breakers free, to the lovely spot where the sun was setting, setting and sinking into the sea. The sky was full of the fairest colors, pink and purple and palely green with great soft masses of gray and amber and great bright rifts of gold between and all the birds that way were flying heron and curlew overhead with a mighty eagle westward floating every plume in their pinions red and then i saw it the fairy city far away o'er the waters deep towers and castles and chapels glowing like blessed dreams that we see in sleep what is its name be still akushla Thy hair is wet with the mists, my boy. Thou hast looked, perchance, on the Tirnanoch, Land of eternal youth and joy. Out of the sea, when the sun is setting, It rises golden and fair to view, No trace of ruin or change of sorrow, No sign of age where all is new. Forever sunny, forever blooming, Nor cloud nor frost can touch that spot, Where the happy people are ever roaming, The bitter pangs of the past forgot this is the greek story of elysion these are the elysian fields of the egyptians these are the gardens of the hesperides this is the region in the west to which the peasant of brittany looks from the shores of cape raz this is atlantis the starving child seeks to reach this blessed land in a boat and is drowned high on the cliffs the lighthouse keeper caught the sound of a piercing scream low in her hut the lonely widow moaned in the maze of a troubled dream and saw in her sleep a seaman ghostly with seaweeds clinging in his hair into her room all wet and dripping a drowned boy on his bosom bare over death's sea on a bridge of silver the child to his father's arms has passed heaven was nearer than tirna and the golden city was reached at last End of Part 5, Chapter 7 Recording by Mark applestadt Parlin, New Jersey www.marc-a.com